Hey everyone, this is Josh from Solopreneur Grind for episode 75 of the Solopreneur Grind podcast. I'm happy to be joined by Gavin Preston. He's a business strategist, growth mentor, and new author. So Gavin, this is perfect timing. Thanks very much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Josh, thank you so much for having me. Awesome. So Gavin, really interested, excuse me, really interested to get deep into this. Can you tell us though, to begin with, little quick intro on Gavin Preston and then what I want to do is is dive into the storybook behind it. Yeah, sure. So I'm a business strategist. I help businesses uh, typically between one and five million in terms of revenue um, to scale and to grow. And I'm normally brought in one of two distinct scenarios. Either the business has had growth and then is now experiencing a plateau and hasn't found a way to break out of that plateau back into growth again. Um, and I help them with that specifically. And uh, also businesses that have got some challenges, they want to turn around, they want to get out of survival so that they can go on to thrive in business. And then I'm usually helping those businesses um embark or continue the journey towards an exit, you know, an exit, a a worthy exit, if that is what they're looking for, or to build the capability in their teams so that they can step back and engage in other projects. Got it. Very cool. So Gavin, I want to, I want to get up to that point uh, throughout the show, but what I'm always interested in is what was kind of the first soiree into, into business and entrepreneurship for you? Yeah. So I had, um, a qualification in training with KPMG. So, uh, you know, one of the big four global uh, accountancy firms that that gave me right from a young age, incredible training uh, and and real uh, experience in lots of different businesses. You know, typically with the nature of the training contracts that you do with firms like that, you're regularly every week, really in different businesses. So you get to see a lot right from the early stages of your, of your career. And, you know, uh, not dissimilar to, you know, the, the the legal training that you'll have had, Josh, is that you're, you're taught to think in a particular way, you're taught to, to, to learn and to be constantly embrace training and learning. And so whilst the traditional accounting um, development was taking place, um, I had a parallel track, and that parallel track was a, a growing passion and interest in personal development, in the world of NLP and of coaching. And it started from the age of 15 when my dad handed me a book uh, by W. Clement Stone called The Success System That Never Fails. And W. Clement Stone was mates with Napoleon Hill of Think and Grow Rich fame. And in W. Clement Stone book, uh, my dad opened to a page of the famous Napoleon Hill quote, what the mind can conceive and believe the mind can achieve. And my dad handed me the book, opened at this quote, and he said, and I was doing um, exams in the UK, school exams at about the age of 16, uh, they're known as GCSE exams, and I was studying for those GCSE exams, and my dad said to me, say to yourself, what the mind can, can conceive and believe the mind can achieve 50 times a day, and think about getting nine A's at GCSE. So I went, oh, sure, dad, okay. I didn't know any difference. And I got my nine A's and it just blew my mind. So book number two, you know, uh, 15, 16 years of age was uh, was Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And then I just voraciously consumed as much as I could. And we were talking tape programs then, but listened to as much as the tape programs. And then when I was doing my, um, my university dissertation for my undergrad, I... Um, I studied the traits, the common traits of successful entrepreneurs. Mm. And I came across a book called Awaken the Giant Within, Tony Robbins' famous book, and then, of course, Unlimited Power. 
so yeah 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 so i got hooked and and so whilst i on the one hand i was learning everything i could um about the art the craft the science of behavioral change and coaching got heavily into nlp working with Richard Bandler, Paul McKenna, and their UK business partner at the time, Michael Breen, uh, and the business applications of NLP um, in, in large, you know, how you could use that with teams or individuals. And then there was this um, piece with KPMG around consulting, around finance, around commercials. And those two ran in parallel until my kind of second position. I was headhunted after my um, time at KPMG. And uh, after a couple of finance roles in BAE Systems, I joined their corporate university and I was able to start to really go deep around the skills of behavioral change, around coaching, uh, around facilitating senior management teams and doing consultancy pieces for them. Got it. So when, when you were at KPMG, like, did, did you kind of always plan to continue down this corporate route? And, and when you did make that move, were you looking for other jobs or, you know, were you kind of happy moving along? You know, interested to know what brought about some of those career progressions. So what became evident to me through my training is that um, I, I wasn't necessarily the most technically brilliant um, tax advisor or to do the, the detailed uh, accounts, but what I was good at was the bigger picture stuff around strategy, and to be able to sit with a client or with clients and draw from my bits of knowledge from all the different disciplines that we're trained in, and to be able to provide some advice. So I think I was built more in terms of my own flair to go down a consultancy path as opposed to, you know, a, a practicing accountant path. So I was looking for a route, and the route into be a, a route to, to pursue that consultancy path, and my hope was I would find a way of kind of starting to shuffle sideways in consultancy towards to do some of the more organizational development stuff and um and, and leadership and coaching space as well right very interesting i've actually been thinking a lot lately gavin about the i don't want to say bridge but i guess the separator between more of the consultancy professional services and then the business operator, you know, having business ideas, growing your own business type thing. And not to say that there's a whole bunch of overlap or that one could do both or that one could transition from one to the other. But do you have any thoughts on those who are maybe earlier on in their career, they like business, maybe they do or don't have a business idea, but they're not sure like, oh, sh should I go start my own business or work in a business or maybe go down that consulting path? Any thoughts on that? I think um, having relevant experience and a network, uh, good contacts that can help you get going, I think is incredibly important. So if you have the opportunity to go and work with another consultancy as an employee or as a, as a freelance resource, consulting or coaching resource for a bigger consultancy, um, that gets you going and gets you started. I think a lot of people start on the kind of solopreneur coaching consultancy space and they can find it quite hard to win revenue, get work, and also build that CV up of, uh, of stellar clients to be working for. So if you can go and be a freelancer for another consultancy or coaching organization that wants good quality resource, but particularly at the moment, they might not want to carry the fixed overhead of an employee on their books, but they'll be happy for someone to work freelance, then that... That can give you some income to get you started. It puts names on your CV in terms of client companies and gives you really valuable experience and helps you build a network. And that that was for me was the 
the, I, I, when I first started off my own business in 2002, doing the coaching consultancy piece, um, I had a, um, a launch client of a big insurance and reinsurance company called Aon. But also in parallel to that, I was a freelance coaching resource for a coaching practice in London. Hmm. Very cool. Can we talk to the maybe year or two leading up to that point? So, so we'll say, you know, like right around the year 2000, where were you at that point? And then what were some of the steps that you took to kind of transition to that next phase, we'll call it? Sure. So I was in the corporate university at BAE Systems, working in their head office in um, in, in Farnborough in Hampshire in, in the UK. And what I was doing was introducing a high performance coaching capability uh, to that uh, to the top 650 directors of BAE Systems. So I guess I was commissioning a team of people, an external training company, to come in and run to uh, design pilot and then run a coaching training program. And I brought in. Um, Michael Breen, who was the guy that um, was the master trainer in NLP that taught me an awful lot. I'd spent about three years being his like apprentice and it, it started mm. off actually while I still was at BAE Systems with BAE Systems paying for me to do some of the training courses. I brought him and his team in and um, helped them design and tested a pilot program and then we rolled it out and it was a very successful program. And that gave me a, a really caliber training, but it also gave me huge experience and um, an and opportunity to, to, to coach alongside or to work alongside his team that he brought in, which was great experience. As a result of that and having gone through his um, public programs, NLP business practitioner, master practitioner, I then started to um, be an assistant on those programs. So I just started to give them my time for free to help out on those programs. And they had in their in their, in their attendee base, um, like buyers in the services of coaching and learning and development from big corporates. So um, the launch client Aon that I talked about just a few minutes ago, I met the lady who was head of learning and development for Aon because I was working with her while she was an attendee on the business master practitioner program. Um, and that gave me an opportunity to to demonstrate my capability. And I think if there's one thing I've consistently found that was worked for me growing my business has been to demonstrate to people how the work I can do and the impacts of my work, whether that be it's helping out somebody else's training course in the early days through to speaking events, through to podcasting, um, through to uh, giving somebody a, a complimentary session and adding value and seeing where that leads. leads. Yeah, I mean, it's one of, one of the best ways to prove that you can help someone is to actually help them first. And, and yeah. it, it makes yeah. the, mess, the rest much easier. So, Gavin... At what point did you decide, okay, you know, I, I've had enough kind of working for other people. I, I'm going to pull the trigger. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my own thing. And then, I mean, this is one of my favorite topics, especially because there's, you know, not as many other podcasts do as much digging into that. Let's call it the first six to 12 months, right? So you finally pull the trigger. You put yourself in a good position, right? You've got all this training. It sounds like what you did really well, too, is you leveraged the resources at your previous company and you were basically being paid to learn and, and trade uh, train and, and network which is awesome but then you pull the trigger what do those first six months look like on your own and what do you think you would attribute to to the success that you've been able to have yeah i think i just one part of the jigsaw i think which is significant is the team i was initially working with in this corporate university uh we got on fantastic we're a great team my boss was great his boss was fantastic who ran the department and um then there was a change implemented 
at the top and it came down and my sort of head of department, he was moved on and we were seen as kind of uh, tarred with the outgoing guard and um, all of a sudden the environment within which I was working went from being part of a great team where we were doing brilliant work and having, you know, having fun to quite a toxic environment. So uh, it, it was becoming clear, very clear that my face no longer fitted neither did those of my peer group around me and um i negotiated a, a, a departure really at that moment so that kind of came about relatively quickly i'd like to say i had a you know a, a lead time or a runway of six months knowing that this was going to happen no it it was it was kind of like weeks it was probably uh four to six weeks that it escalated and then I find myself in a situation, um, do I try and go and get some uh, jobs for a consultancy? But my CV said, hey, chartered accountant, uh, KPMG qualified chartered accountant. Oh, yes, you've done an 18 months of comment doing some leadership development stuff and some learning development stuff. So that became quite a tough pitch. And at the same time, there was interest from Aon and I secured that work. So that kind of pushed me down the solopreneur pathway. So that that's how it all started, and I had the launch client. You know, the first the first six months were, I think, equally fulfilling and exciting. The work on Aon with the with the coaching program was phenomenal, um, but also kind of lonely, mm-hmm. you know, because I had been in this big corporate infrastructure, whether it had been in a you know a fast paced international you know firm like KPMG or you know one of the largest defense manufacturers in BEA systems and all of a sudden there was just me <laughs> sat in a room on my own and you know I look back now and I think I, I should have spent more time building networks and going out there and uh, you know demonstrating and, and and offering of my services instead of making sure the business card was right and making sure the website was right and get, mm-hmm. getting the brand and all the nice easy stuff when actually you need to be getting out there and hustling and, and, and building relationships and getting some work in so um, but within that six months I then started to develop use those networks and get some work in as I say via a, a coaching practice in London and become a freelance resource for them as well which really helped got it very cool and so what would you recommend you know maybe two or three piece of advice I mean coaching has been become very popular right especially in the in the last few years and I mean you could have a whole podcast episode on that kind of industry as as it's come to be sure. in the last few years specifically for those who are considering going into coaching uh, whether it be you know business strategy growth uh, or something unrelated what would you recommend that people do maybe even before they start to kind of consider whether it's the right path to go down for them yeah i i, I for a start i would look at um get receive some coaching yourself be on the other be on the receiving end of it because does you'll see how someone does it you know there are different styles a really good pure executive coach is very takes a socratic method so asks questions and pulls that get the gets the the, the coachee the client to think through the answers but you then so so it's very non-directive whereas moving down the mentoring moving down the scale towards mentoring can be more directive where somebody that's been seasoned and experienced and you know got a few gray hairs who's been there and done that that would would say oh, for the benefit of my experience this is what i i suggest you do and 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 there's there 
there's a myriad of styles in between those two those two extremes so i think my first advice is go and experience it do you mm-hmm. do you, do you like it could you, could you see yourself being able to do that are you a problem solver are you able to think through problems rationally are you able to come up with really good questions to get somebody to think about it differently um if you struggle which i see a lot of people do when they start they like the idea of coaching they struggle to keep their own mouth shut and they just want to tell somebody what to do and it works the best when the person you're working with, uh, yes, they're open to ideas, but they need to have the aha moments, the realizations themselves. And that happens when the coach asks really good questions and then shuts up. Yeah, no, I, I totally relate. I, I had a business coach when I, a few years back when I got started and even just hearing you say that, there, I had a bunch of aha moments in my own head as I was asking, answering his questions. And uh, it was like, wow, this guy, knows what he's doing, you know? Um, and like you said, having never experienced being coached has got to be pretty important because like anything else, you know, in the world that you might want to go into without having seen it in practice, um, you know, a lot of people might say it's a bit of a stretch to just, to just dedicate everything to it. If you can't, in my opinion, um, if you can't be coached because you're not open to someone challenging you you're not open to trying out new ideas or looking at a situation or a problem from a different perspective um i think you're if you're not coachable i don't think that makes you a very good coach because it's that openness that mindset that curiosity your willingness to explore and try other things on that are essential in your that you need to bring as a coach to the coaching conversation or the coaching relationship Absolutely. And it would be a little counterintuitive to pitch yourself as a coach if you yourself don't believe in the act of receiving coaching from others. So uh, It's a common question that somebody who is a prospective customer, I'm having a prospective client, I'm having a conversation with them and saying, so um, do, do, who's your coach? Do you get coaching yourself? And if you say no... Um, then it's not congruous. You know, people mm-hmm. say, well, hold on, you're telling me I need a coach or I would benefit from a coach, but you don't have one. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think there's a, there's a congruency about having your own coach and, and demonstrating that well, you're role modeling the process. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, great. That makes a lot of sense, Gavin. So you, you end up, you're, you're working with your first big client, Aon. You're also doing some freelancing on the side. Take me through what what happens next. Is there kind of a slow evolution uh, of the of the company and and kind of tying that into where you are where you're at now? Yeah, so the, the, there was a, a slower evolution. I, I spent a lot of time working alongside uh, Michael Breen on his courses, so I got exposed to other client other sort of students. Then that then I had the opportunity to work with them and became clients. Um, but then as I started to build out those interests, um, I managed to land uh, a piece of work with the United Nations. I think it was back in oh, wow. 2006. So I went to the Near East. Um, so places like um, uh, Lebanon and um, the West Bank of, um, yeah, so Lebanon and the West Bank. So I went to Syria. Uh, Beirut. It, it, it was phenomenal. Obviously, places where you wouldn't go now. But um, uh, I was I was being sort of taken around by the UN, doing training in their United Nations Relief and Works Agency. So they were part of the UN that were working with Palestinian Palestinian refugees, and it was just it was just fascinating. Um, so I did a period. I think I did about four or five weeks out there training uh, around interview skills. Very cool. And so. 
how, how does that period in time take us to where you where you're at now? What's what's the focus right now? And uh, yeah, so I so I think one big you know to use that word we've used a couple of times a bridge was um, I did a piece of work a lot of work within. Um, international bank but uh, with the international bank called hsbc which is big in the uk and um and it has some presence but not as not necessarily as big in the us and hsbc did a lot of work internally with them um coaching from a very senior level and that that piece of work was got initially via um was through me being a consultant a freelance consultant for this consultancy that had secured the work within hsbc needed more resource to deliver it needed someone who had already worked within HSBC Bank and I had via that other coaching um, organization in London I made reference to. So that gave me an in and having worked for three or four years delivering training around strategy and coaching at a very senior level down to relationship managers who are face-to-face with customers um, in the business and commercial sectors, um, after a period that became an opportunity about sort of 12 or 18 months after I stopped doing that piece of work, when they said, hey, would you like to come and do a day's worth of, uh, uh, run a workshop for our customers? You know, we're not, we can't pay you, but it's a bit of business development for you. Hey, would you run a day for our customers and around business growth? They had, yeah, great, I'd love to do that. And that went well, and it turned into a two-year speaking um, tour, uh, UK national tour. For, so we did 84 dates over two years wow. up and down the UK. And they put anywhere between 30 and 275 people in the room. And Josh, that was an awesome platform. That that was a massive step, you know, some step up. And off the back of that, you know, th- there were business owners that were pretty much in this um, anywhere between 250,000 turnover and, and 20 million turnover in the room. Um, and I, I found myself attracting and then doing work with people in that kind of one to five million turnover space. And I ran a program called W Business and I wanted, you know, there's a lot of people, especially in the coaching industry, that there's, um, that there's a lot of hot air when isn't necessarily the substance. And I wanted to come across with something, come up with a promise or an offer that was was pretty ballsy, to be honest, but also quite courageous that would challenge me and put me on the spot. So I, I made an offer to an, the audience. I did a test offer and I said, hey, you know, who here is interested in growing the business? Yes, hands went up. Who wants to double your business? Um, do you think it's theoretically possible to double, you know, double your revenue in a year? Yeah. Okay, so work with me for a year. And if you um, if you don't do you double your business, you money back. And and that was my promise. And, you know, provided you do everything that we agreed collectively and implement everything because, you know, implementation equals income. And if they don't implement, then you, you, you can't be held responsible for them not getting the results. But um, and of the people that went through four cohorts of that, more than a third of those business owners more than doubled. Hmm. And those were the ones that implemented the ones that didn't more than double. They might have got um more modest rise of 20% growth in a year, which was incredibly impressive, but they hadn't implemented everything that we agreed that they would implement. So yeah, that was a, that was a phenomenal, that was a phenomenal success story. And um, the HSBC customers was going, wow, it's the best single day that the bank has ever put on in terms of development. And we loved that. And that, that kind of um, joint venture marketing type model where it was just a win for HSBC customers. It was a win for HSBC because their customers thought they were brilliant putting that event on. And then it was a win for me in terms of lead generation. That that, that was phenomenal. 
Yeah, that's it sounds amazing. The, the two things that I'd love to ask a little bit deeper on, number one is, you know, it's, it's a great opportunity that I would imagine some people might skip over, right? You, you get reached out by something like, H, you know, a big company like HSB and they say, will you do this? We can't pay you. And so would love to hear what your thoughts are on that topic. Obviously, what you did was you took up the opportunity either way because the upside was far greater than, you know, maybe them paying you a couple hundred or a couple thousand bucks to do that one day event. You've, you know, more, more than made all that back. So I'd, I'd love to hear what you kind of think about that and the opportunities. And then secondly, what was it that kind of motivated you to come up with that offer, right? Because if you were going on these, you know, giving all these presentations and generating enough leads, why did you decide to go a little bit further and say, hey, you know, here's my double your business offer and why not just kind of stick to whatever you had been doing until then? Yeah, so to, to take the first question, the the point about demonstration, wanting to lead with value, um, I did a great program, training program myself as a, as a company called Dent Global uh, that run a program called Key Person of Influence. There's an author, Daniel Priestley, behind it. He's a great guy, great book, Key Person of Influence. And he says that you, if you want to grow your grow your sphere of influence and become the person that people seek out rather than just you know a, another another number in a busy marketplace then you need to have refined you you need to work on five p's your pitch you need to be able to publish write a book then you need to be able to build a suite of products and um, then you need to be able to increase your profile and then develop partnerships and so with this education and having done or in the process of doing this course at the time because it's about a nine month course with a number of modules whilst doing that the HSBC opportunity came to me when they said, oh, hey, could you just do this one day? I can't pay you, but we, hey, it's been business development for you. I just thought, wow, this could actually be one of those P's. This could be the partnership opportunity. So, and I knew that if HSBC said to a customer, hey, come along and see this guy. He's going to do a one day around strategies for growth. If they, they the customer is going to think, well, he must be all right then if HSBC are putting him in front of me. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 the implied trust in that relationship between the bank and the customer was sort of uh, passed over to me or is extended over to me and, and, and that relationship with me. So it gave me a huge amount of credibility. And then to your second question about the, you know, the, the offer and what made me think I wanted to do it um, all all the you know all the more ballsy i suppose and it was actually a road trip i did with my brother um my brother my brother used to work out in dubai and he finished his contract out in dubai and he decided to drive back to london so he he you know he 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 got on a ferry and he went through iran and turkey and all the way back through europe and i i drive i i joined him for the last like 48 hour sprint from nice in the south of france back to london and it was like going down those sort of roads in France, and he—he's he, always had a, a really, I think, skeptical uh, uh, awareness around the work that I did, you know, because he wasn't necessarily into personal development, nor nor uh, still to this day. But we started to talk about, and he was asking me some uh, engaging and challenging questions. So he's in—he's effectively coaching me, and he said, "Well, so what is it that you really help people do?" I said, "Well, I can help them really grow." He says, "Well." By how much? You know, how much could you help somebody grow in a year? Twenty percent, twenty-five. And I remember sitting there in the passenger seat as the miles were flying by, and I just, you know, because his next question was, if you were to say you could do something 
I used the word ballsy. What would it be? And I went, I could double the business in a year. And it was just came to me from my gut in that moment. And he went, go on, could you? Could you really? It, you know, goading me, really. And I went, I just had this sense of certainty, this congruency, this gut feel. I went, yeah, I can do that. And But then I also liked, from my point of view, um, the authenticity of standing in front of people, standing strong in, in an audience when I'm, d- I'm doing this event this day, you know, standing strong and saying, we can do this. I believe in you. You believe in me. And I'm going to back it with a, you know, a rock solid money back guarantee. And, you know, guarantees like that 100% money back guarantee is one of the ways, one very effective way of removing any obje- objections in the sales process, the sales conversation. And, and people would just look at me and go, Wow, that guy's confident. He knows, you know, and mm-hmm. and as long as you're not arrogant with it, confidence sells. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, super super interesting. And so, did you notice a big difference, whether it be number of clients or or how you were attacking your work and working with your clients once you started implementing that program? Yeah, yeah. So there was two. It was a combination of group work. Um, with the people in the cohort and then one-on-one strategic planning and coaching and interestingly it was the very same model that I had joined and seen work so well in Aon right at the beginning of my coaching career so I was given six people within inside Aon to coach who were high potentials senior execs of the future and I had to coach them all in a group of six in a group coaching format or action learning set, as they were called, or we would call it a masterminding in, 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 more, in modern parlance. And then I would coach each of those six people individually as well. And I found this combination of group work with them and individual work with them work so well because they, they, they were a part of the community on a journey together. So there was that... Um, that was the support that was challenged from each other. There was camaraderie uh, and that worked. And then they had the individual sessions with me as well. So I took the same model into my W Business program. So we did group uh, masterminds on a monthly basis and a combination of me sharing new content and we were helping each other out with their businesses. And it created a fabulous bond, friendship and business relationships that are still present to this day. Um, and then I would do strategic planning sessions with them in their business, build out their uh, six-month, 12-month plan for the growth of their business, and then have regular accountability and coaching calls you know, on a monthly basis with them. So they started to get some really good results, phenomenal results. And the bit that also really demonstrated to me was the thing that changed the trajectory and the growth of their business was mindset. And um, because most business owners plateau at a level of their own thinking. So if they only think they're a a small local business and they get habituated to operate at that level, unless they can shift the thinking and they can think, hey, we're we're a statewide business or we're a national business or we're, you know, with the power of the internet, we're a global business with, you know, digital products, et cetera. Unless you start to think bigger, then you're never going to get your business to go any bigger. so when I shine the spotlight of brilliance on the clients I was working with and saying, you can do this, it's like taking the cataracts off their eyes and saying, hey, look, this is what the view, this is the art of the possible. This is where we can really take your business. And when you bestow so much belief and certainty on somebody and show them the way in terms of a strategy, they... they, they, they overcome their disp... or they are at least able to suspend their disbelief 
in it, whether they can do it or not, whether they're good enough or not, whether it's possible or not, and they start working the plan. And with the coaching, they start to get great results and they go, whoa. And then that's just like fuel on the fire then. Right, absolutely. And, and that's really great to hear. So Gavin, let's get a little bit more into what you find yourself, you know, talking about with clients. And so one of them clearly is, you know, just kind of re, you know, shifting their mindset so that they can even believe that they can accomplish what you're about to help them accomplish. Can you talk about maybe two or three other very common, whether it be topics or suggestions sure. or struggles that a lot of your clients have uh, maybe early on? Yeah, sure. So I, I have a business growth model um, that I call the strategy compass. And there, there are six stages to this. And, and, and whilst when I run them through in a second, you'll note that none of these are new. What it does do is in a comprehensive way is bring things together. So for example, you get books on strategy, but you don't know, and you get books on mindset, but you don't necessarily get the books in, you know, strategy and mindset in the same in, in the same book. Mm -hmm. And so this model, stage one, strategy compass stage one is purpose, as popularized by Simon Sinek's work, you know, start with why, brilliant work. Uh, it's purpose, you know, what, what's the North Star for your business? What, what What's the difference you're making to your customers and your customers' customers? Step two is mindset, which we've just touched on, how important that is if you're going to change the trajectory of the growth of a business. Step three is outcome, it's having clarity about where you're heading. And that might sound a statement to the obvious, but when I did that 84 date, uh, 84 gig speaking tool for HSBC, I asked every audience, how many are here have you got written down goals for the next one, two, three years? And I was shocked, no matter where we were in the UK, less than 20% of the people in the room had written down goals. So outcome being step three, being critical clear. Once we know we, where we want to go, the very next question we ask ourselves is how? Well, that's strategy, that's step four. Step five is about building the capability in your business so you can scale and grow. And step six is action and accountability. So to ask, answer your question, where what kind of conversations do I have? I have been having a lot of conversations with the strategy piece how are they going to step stand out in a noisy market? How are they going to be differentiated? And then I have a lot of conversations around how do we grow the capability of the people, the team, you know, the systems, the working capital, the cash in the business, so that we can put a greater transactional volume through that business. Got it. Makes a lot of sense, especially that framework. So, do you hear a couple of the, you know, are, are there like two or three? biggest struggles or problems that you tend to see, whether it be, you know, entrepreneurs, CEOs, uh, executives coming to you with that have kind of surfaced, you know, kind of created a theme uh, over the last few years? Yeah, cash and people. Um, so growth is hungry on cash. Mm -hmm. Growth is demanding on people and on systems and, and on any kind of like machinery or assets you have in your business. And most people underestimate the working capital provision, you know, having adequate cash funding in the business so it can scale and grow. So yeah, cash gets caught up with, with, with customers, with accounts receivable, it kind of gets caught up in raw material stock, finished goods stock gets, um, and so before, before you know it, you're, you're running tight on cash. And particularly if you have what's known as a negative cash flow cycle, where you pay out for raw materials for labor before you get paid in from your customer, um, then, then that can, 
cause a real challenge around cash flow. So that's that's one area. So I, I help people forecast and plan out the cash and share with them a number of different strategies they can do to kind of smooth out the cash flow so the, the ins and the outs works quite, you know, works well. Um, because when you're short of cash, then that puts a lot of people in terms of business in a state of fear and they can't think in that, you know, if, if, you're, if you're really petrified about how you're going to meet payroll at the end of the week, then you're not in a great place to come up with a creative, you know, uh, pr- solutions to a complex problem. So I get them out of that fear we talk, and I give them step, right, do this, 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 and this. Um, it takes them out of that <gasps> rabbit in the headlights moment. We do those things and they move on. The next thing that she's always super hard is that entrepreneurs want to push hard to get excited. They want to move things. They want to move fast. They've got great vision and ambition and not, and it's harder to bring a team with you. And sometimes you, you know, culture is set from the top. And if you've, if all of a sudden you're putting the, you know, foot on the gas and you're increasing the speed of, of, of the business, you can get members of the team equally, equal and opposite trying to put the foot on the brake. And it's how do you, how do you engage with them? How do you excite them? How do you compel them to come on a journey with you? And purpose is one aspect of that for sure. Uh, but that bit about the engagement and the motivation and um, creating the pull so that so that people want to follow you on a journey. You know, I think leadership is about creating followership, and it's a, it's helping them to to create the pull so people want to come with you on the journey rather than the push where people are going to push back. Absolutely. Makes a ton of sense. Uh, awesome, Gavin. I, I just want to ask you one more question. And then, of course, I, I do want to ask a little bit about the book as well. But given how much uh, some growth strategies these days can rely on social media, digital marketing, things like that, how has your approach to growth changed in the last few years? And, and do you have a few suggestions that you find yourself giving to most business owners as it relates to, uh, we'll call it, you know, modern day uh, growth guidance? Yeah, that's a great question. I think how has my approach to growth uh, changed over the last few years? Um, you know, I have an entrepreneurial flair. I get excited about growth. I get excited by the challenge that, that uh, that's contained within that. But I think over the last few years, I've developed a little bit more um, wisdom or awareness when it makes sense to just ease your foot off the gas a little bit and make sure that you've either got enough cash reserves or your systems and processes are right. So growth for growth's sake isn't isn't the answer you want a profitable business that's going to sustain over time so and you want a happy team so um you know just driving flat out for growth all of the time isn't the answer i think so that that greater roundedness and awareness awareness through experience of there are times actually when you take your foot off the gas a bit while you build out the capability of the business is, is one thing that i've changed um Back to the point around kind of marketing and digital marketing, etc. Um, I'm a massive fan about how we can engage, you know, across across nation borders and around the world. Um, I, it, for me, the answer to that is putting out really good value-adding content to help people. So I'm I'm less about beating my own chest. I'm more I'm more about hey, let me share this with you. Hey, this might help you. Um, and produce. I'm a podcaster like yourself, and I, I and so I could bringing out putting together good quality content and helping people back to that point around demonstration is what I find works most effectively in t- from a social media point of view. Absolutely and totally agree. 
Awesome, Gavin. Well, this has been really great learning more about the story and, and getting some of these guidelines and, and suggestions. Can you tell us a little bit more uh, about the book, kind of what motivated you to write it? And if you can give us, you know, the synopsis, then uh, we'd love sure. to hear more about so, it. So, so the book's called Survive and Thrive. Survive and Thrive, How to Secure, Scale and Succeed in Business. Um, it's kind of like hot off the press. It was launched on the 30th of July, 30th of July so that's really cool. Oh, wow. And, and the Thrive Part 2 of the book is based around that six-step model, the strategy compass. Um, and that's the model that I've used and proven with these businesses that I've helped double in it, 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 and, and more in a year. Um, but I also recognize that not everybody's in that space of A, thriving, or B, believing thriving is possible. Some are quite literally struggling to keep their business afloat, struggling to keep the boat afloat. So I... Actually, the, I changed the nature and focus of the book. It was just going to be about the growth and about the thrive, and I put a new front end on it, the survive piece, because there's people out there hurting, and they're hurting right now, and you mm -hmm. actually need, you know, there's the phrase, to finish first, first you have to finish. Well, to thrive in business, particularly at times like now, first you have to survive. And so the strategies in the surviving part one of the book, which is all about how do we keep your boat afloat in terms of cash? What are the things that we can do to bring more sales and revenue in right now? How do we save costs? And literally ideas and suggestions and bullet points of things that you could be doing right now to help your business weather the storm. You know, I, I'm a sailor, so I use quite a lot of nautical uh, analogies you will have picked up. Um, but yeah, to help you weather the storm. And I think that's so, so pertinent right now that there is a lot of business owners, whether they have a team, a larger business, or whether they're solopreneurs, they're either hurting or um, they're really worried. And I think at the moment, uh, it'd be so easy to get into paralysis and fear around what's going on in the world, the economy, etc., and what that looks like over the next few months stroke years. And yet... In every period of uncertainty, there's always opportunity. And what I'm hoping with the book is to bring a, um, a mixture, a blend of inspiring you with the mindset and uh, strategies and shining the spotlight of belief and, br and spotlight of brilliance on your capability, but then backing it up with the foundations of here's the solid business principles that you need to put in practice right now in order for your business to survive and then go on to thrive. And now more than ever, the messages in the book are absolutely pertinent and really needed. Absolutely. Yeah, it is uh, August 2nd for anyone who is listening to this perhaps well into the future. So yeah, the the effects of COVID are definitely being felt. Uh, Gavin, that's awesome. Can where, where can people find the book? And if people want to learn more about you or, or follow you on social media, sure. where do they recommend so, you? Go? Yeah, so go to surviveandthrive.cc. So that's surviveandthrive.cc to find out about the book and the audio book there and more about that. And if you want to follow me, uh, you could check out my podcast. It's the Business Mastermind podcast, the Business Mastermind podcast. And also, uh, yeah, connect with me on social media. So um, to get me on Facebook, it's just gavin.live. That'll uh, link you straight through. Gavin.live will get link you through on Facebook and look for Gavin Preston on LinkedIn or Gavin underscore Preston on Instagram. Awesome. Gavin, thanks very much. We're going to have links to all those in the description, whether you're watching or listening to this. Gavin, thanks again for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Josh, thank you so much for having me. Hey everyone, Josh here, checking in just one last time. Wanted to say thanks so much for listening to the podcast episode. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. And if you want to keep getting more of the Solopreneur Grind content, make sure to join the email list. What I do is send three emails a week with 
additional content such as what's going on in the background of my solopreneur journey, insights I'm having on business, and updates when new podcast episodes like these come out as well. It's free. It always will be. The link to join is in the description of whatever podcast platform you're listening this to on. Really hope to have you on the list and continuing to share these awesome solopreneur journeys and insights with you as well. Have a great day and hope to see you soon.